0: listening to episode four of Half Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter six, St. Cloud Orbital, 2352, February 20. She wasn't exactly what I expected, the new ship suit and lost look, certainly. Those I expected, even recognized. But I guess unconsciously I was expecting a girl, or, or at least a young woman. Sarah Krug looked to be nearly as old as my mother had been. She spotted my suit then and eyed me warily. We met in the middle of the passage. You must be Miss Krug, I said, fatuously, and held out my hand. Call me uh that is. My name is Ishmael Huang. The ship sent me to meet you. I thought she flinched as I held my hand out, but it was gone so fast I couldn't be sure. She looked at my hand for a moment before gripping it briefly but firmly in her own dry palm. In that split second before she let go, I could feel the calluses on her palm and along her fingers. I tried a welcoming smile and hoped it was working. She seemed very closed off. "'Sarah Krug,' Mr. Huang,' she said. Standing next to me, she came up to my nose and had to look up slightly to look me in the eyes. Her hair was longer than I was used to seeing her after so many months aboard, almost to her shoulders— It had a peculiar, bleached look to it, like it had started life as a soft brown, but had been burned almost white in broad streaks. Looking into her brown eyes, I realized she wasn't as old as she looked at first glance, and I wondered briefly what kind of life she must have had to have aged her this way. She looked, I don't know, bruised. I started talking quickly to cover my awkwardness. "'You can call me Ish, Ms. Krug. We don't stand on ceremony much here. Can I call you Sarah? Is that okay?' She nodded uncertainly and shifted her duffel. Okay then, Sarah, let's get you introduced to Lois and the rest of the crew. Everybody's quite anxious to meet you. I started down the passageway with a little nod. It's just this way and not very far. You'll be working with Cookie and Pip. They're both really nice, although you'll have to be careful of Pip's little jokes. He's quite a comedian. I realized I was rambling and made myself stop and ask the first question I could think of. Do you snore? <laughs> snore? Snore? she asked incredulously. I shrugged. Yeah, I don't know why, but that seems to be the first question anybody asks a new bunkie. She started giggling then and said, Yes, actually, I've been told that I do, but not loudly. I glanced over my shoulder and she was shaking her head in disbelief. Tabitha snores too, I said, but I actually found it kind of comforting in a way. Tabitha, she asked. Yeah, Tabitha Rondita. She slept on the other side of the partition from my old bunk, I told her, before I moved over to engineering berthing. You meet her. She's nice. We entered the commercial docks by then, and I slowed so Sarah could catch her breath and look around a little. I remembered my first time on the docks and how different it all looked. You okay? I asked her softly. She looked at me and nodded. Yes, she said a bit unsteadily. I I think so, but it's all going so fast. I smiled. It'll be okay. It wasn't all that long ago I came aboard for the first time. Did you get the your ass is mine speech from the captain? She grinned and said, "'Yes, is that normal?' I shrugged. "'I don't know, but it's the only thing I remember about my interview with her.' "'Is it as bad as she said?' Sarah asked a bit fearfully. "'Not even close,' I laughed. "'Not even close.' By then we'd made it back to the lock, and Bev was still on duty. "'Bev meets Sarah Krug. "'Sarah, this is Beverly Aerith. "'She's not as scary as she looks.' "'Hey,' Bev protested. "'Who you calling scary?' But she smiled at Sarah and held out a hand. Again, I thought Sarah flinched, but Bev shot me a quick look like she'd seen something, too. Welcome aboard, Sarah. This ignoramus hasn't been telling you tales about us already, has he? She asked with a grin. Sarah did the press and release handshake again and smiled tentatively. No, actually, he's been very considerate, she said softly. Bev looked at me then, straight in the eye. Ish? Mr. Maxwell wants to see her in the office. But when you take her down to birthing, why don't you put her in the bunk above mine? Oh, do you like an upper bunk? I asked Sarah. She shrugged. I don't know. I never slept in a bunk. Uppers are easier to get out of, I told her, but harder to get into. She smiled a bit coldly at that and said, that sounds good. Bev was nodding deliberately at me. Yes, Ish, Mr. Maxwell is waiting. I wasn't really sure what was going on there, but I led the way into the ship. Mr. Maxwell isn't really that scary, I told her as I led the way to the office. He's really good. Don't let the robot act bother you. We made it to the office then, and I straightened my ship suit and looked at her. You ready? I whispered. Sarah took a deep breath and let it out slowly before nodding. I knocked and heard Mr. Maxwell say, Come. I swung the door open and led Sarah into the office. Attendant Wong reporting with Attendant Sarah Krug is ordered SAR. Mr. Maxwell swiveled his gaze to Sarah and said, "'Welcome aboard, Miss Krug. Mr. Wong will get you settled in deck berthing and introduce you to the rest of the mess staff.' I recognized the command and said, "'Yes, sir.' "'Do you have any questions for me, Miss Krug?' Mr. Maxwell asked. She shook her head and said, "'No, sir. Not at this time, sir.' He turned to me then and went on, "'Mr. Wong, as of this moment you're promoted to engineman and will assume your duties in the environmental section of engineering when Mr. Carstairs returns from liberty.' "'Aye, sir. Thank you, sir.' He looked at both of us then and nodded. Dismissed. I led the way out and closed the door behind Sarah. She started to speak, and I just smiled and shook my head. After a couple turns down the passageway, I looked back at her and said with a grin, "'That went well.' Sarah had the oh-my-Gods look that I recognized so well. "'He's not that scary?' she asked. "'You say, he's not that scary?' I laughed. "'Yeah, I know. I lied. He's very scary.' but he's very good. You'll see. She didn't look like she believed me, but she took a different tack. You just got a promotion. Yep, I told her. How long have you been aboard? I was a quarter share greenie just like you last September. And you already got promoted? I smiled. Yeah, it's been an interesting five months. She just looked at me. What did you do before? You're getting my old job, I told her. I was a mess deck attendant. I checked the chrono and realized it was barely 1330. Come on, I said. Let's stow your gear and go help Cookie clean up after lunch, and then we can get you settled. I took her down to deck berthing and gave her the choice of the bunk over Bev or the one under Pip. She took the upper. We got her duffel stowed and the palm lock sat on her locker, and I took her to meet Cookie. When we got to the mess deck, there wasn't a lot to do. Cookie had taken down the buffet and was just taking out the broom to sweep down the mess deck. It was odd, though, because Pip and I usually cleaned off the tables before we swept and swabbed. I could still see empty mugs and the odd dish left out. Cookie, I'd like you to meet your new mess attendant, Sarah Krug. Cookie bestowed one of his beatific smiles on her and gave a small bow. I am delighted to have you join our little family, Cookie said. Thank you very much, she replied, and I could feel her unwinding a bit for the first time since I'd met her. Very well, Sarah, Cookie replied. He handed her the broom and dustpan. Here, we must clean this place up and make it ready for the evening meal. Could you take over while I talk to Mr. Huang?' She looked around dubiously, and then at the broom and dustpan. Of course, Cookie, but... Yes, Miss Groog, he prompted formally. Do you have a bucket and a cloth? If I'm to do a proper job, I think I'd like to clean the tables first. Cookie smiled, and I hid a grin behind a mug of coffee. Of course, sir. Ishmael, show your shipmate where she can find the supplies she needs. I nodded toward the galley and gave her the quick half-cred tour before Cookie drew me into the pantry to leave her alone on the mess deck. "'You are a rascal, Cookie,' I told him. "'He beamed. "'Thank you, Ishmael. "'I do try.' "'He turned serious then and asked, "'She has been beaten recently.' "'What?' I asked. "'How would I know?' "'She didn't say anything about where she's from,' he pressed. "'Well, we haven't exactly had a lot of time,' I pointed out. "'He looked concerned. "'Be kind to her, Ishmael. "'She hasn't had a lot of kindness in her life.' "'He peeked out to the mess deck then. "'Go, show her where to put the dishes,' he smiled. "'Pip is in for an interesting time.' I slipped out of the pantry and helped Sarah clear the tables. I showed her where to put the dirty dishes and how to load the big sand unit. We slipped into an odd kind of rhythm very quickly, and as she worked, she seemed to relax, as long as I wasn't standing too close to her and didn't move too quickly. I wondered at Cookie's question about her being beaten. It only took a few ticks and the mess deck was cleaned up, and we moved to the galley to give it a quick brush and swab. Cookie had left a tray of meat and cheeses out, but as I went to stow it in the cooler, I noticed Sarah looking at it out of the corner of her eye. "'Oh, did you get lunch?' I asked suddenly. She shook her head, looking scared again for some reason. "'I am so sorry. I should have realized you were on the shuttle. "'Are you hungry? Would you like something to eat?' I asked. "'Yes, please, if it's not too much trouble.' She seemed suddenly very uncertain. I smiled. "'Oh, no, just don't tell Cookie I didn't feed you right away. "'He'd string me out for having you working hungry.' Behind her, I saw Cookie poke his head out of the pantry and nod at the kettle of potato mushroom soup still left in the cooktop, before he disappeared back into the pantry and the door closed silently. Would you like some soup, perhaps a sandwich? Either. Both. I offered with a grin. Are we allowed? She asked. Allowed? I laughed. We're required, I assured her. Now, what's your pleasure? I can recommend the potato mushroom soup, and Cookie bakes the best bread. The cheese is a bit sharp, but I like it a lot. I found myself blathering away about the food to distract her. There was something wrong, and while I didn't know what it was, I knew that a good meal wouldn't hurt. I pulled out a stool from the prep table and told her to sit while I checked the soup. It was still warm, but I cranked up the burner to warm it up more. "'Would you like a cup of coffee?' I asked. "'It's usually pretty good.' She nodded shyly, and I fetched her mug from the mess deck. By then the soup was hot enough to eat, and I served a bowl for each of us found a basket of biscuits left for lunch. I saw her eyeing a tray of meats and cheeses as well, and I dragged that over to our makeshift picnic on the prep table. She looked at me as if for permission, and I nodded. Dig in. We're all family here. I smiled. She split a biscuit and made a meat and cheese sandwich out of it before tackling the soup. It was good soup, too, and I realized that I was hungry myself as I gave my own bowl some serious attention. At first she ate slowly and a bit shyly, but as the warm soup, fresh biscuits, and hot coffee worked their magic, she became less reticent. I looked at her then, really looked at her, and came to believe that her last meal hadn't been breakfast that morning. You can always get something to eat here, I told her conversationally. That cooler is for watchstanders, I nodded to the smaller cooler. There's always a tray of meat and cheese there, usually pies and pastries too. It's open all the time. She eyed the cooler and looked at me and said, Thank you, very softly. You're welcome, I told her just as softly. I don't know why I said it, but I added... You're safe here, as I cleaned out my bowl with the end of a biscuit and popped it into my mouth without looking at her. We finished our lunch and cleaned off the prep table around 1430. Come on, I told her. We need to get you settled and your bunk made up. For the next day, I showed her where to get the linens and how to get a fresh ship suit and how to make the upper bunk without having to crawl all the way up into it to get the corners even. By 1500, we were visiting Mr. Von Nichols and getting her set up with her tablet and credentials, and I gave her a quick tour of the gym and the sauna. "'Pip didn't tell me for weeks that there was a gym here,' I explained. "'She laughed at that. "'This is amazing,' she said. "'I had no idea. "'It's not all peaches and cream,' I told her. "'Wait till we get a suit drill in the middle of the night.' "'By then it was almost sixteen hundred, "'and we headed back to the mess deck to prep for dinner. "'I thought you were leaving the mess deck,' she said, "'as I was showing her around the pantries. "'I am,' I told her, "'but I have to wait for Pip to come back from Liberty "'so I can hand the watch over to him before I can go. That's okay.' Tomorrow I'll be down in environmental and trying to learn what I'm supposed to do down there. So, in the meantime, she said, you're stuck with me? I shook my head. No, for a few more stands, I have some idea about what I'm doing. You're just the icing on the cake. And I smiled at her. Cookie bustled in, then, and we started the evening prep. The menu included marinated lamb and some fresh greens from Planetside. I showed Sarah the basic setup for dinner routine while docked, and she took to it right away. It won't be this easy when we get underway, I told her, but Pip and Cookie are good to work with. Cookie's prediction about the dinner turnout proved to be correct as well. I think half the crew showed up for dinner that night. Chapter 7, St. Cloud Orbital, 2352, February 20. Sarah and I were just finishing dinner cleanup when Pip burst into the galley. He skidded to a stop when he saw Sarah. I don't know that I'd ever seen Pip so surprised. Sarah Krug, this is Philip Carstairs. We call him Pip, mostly, I told her. Pip, this is Sarah Krug, the new mess deck attendant. Pip held out his hand, and I took it as a good sign that Sarah didn't flinch. We were making progress, it seemed. Hi, sir, welcome aboard, he said. She shook his hand in the press and release mode and said Yes, I snore, but not loudly. Pip shot a dirty look in my direction, but I just continued putting away the broom and pretended not to see. Sarah's in the bunk over Bev now, I told him. Sarah, you should know that this guy is across from you in the other upper. She looked instantly wary again, and I kicked myself. He doesn't snore much, I added. Pip caught the wary look and realized very suddenly that things were decidedly odd. I gave him a little shrug while Sarah was looking him over. Pip smiled as friendly a smile and said, That'll work out great a schmuck that used to have that bunk, snored like a chainsaw. I don't think I got a decent night's sleep since Neres, he said. Sarah looked back and forth between us a couple of times, then seemed to relax a little. Wait a tick, she said. Pip tried to look innocent. Whose bunk was it? Pip nodded in my direction. She smiled. Is this the bunk with Tabitha on the other side? I shrugged. Yeah, that's how I know it's a good bunk. For a heartbeat or two, I wasn't sure how it was going to go. Sarah just stood there, kind of closed off again. Pip kept looking from me to her and back, but blessedly he didn't speak. Finally, whatever she was thinking sorted itself out, and she said, Good. How'd it go in the booth, Pip? I asked him to get his attention. Do you want some supper? Yeah, he said. I could use a sandwich or something. It's been a long time since lunch, and we have some stuff to take care of yet. I pulled out the meat and cheese tray and looked at Sarah. There's some darberry pie in here, if you're interested. If you leave it, he'll just eat it. I told her, and nodded at Pip. Pip came and looked over my shoulder. Hey, there's enough for both of us. Don't be chintzy with cookies, pies-ish. Well, if you're sure it's not a problem, Sarah began. I pulled food out of the cooler, and Pip started making a sandwich while I rummaged up a couple of plates for pie. So, you were going to tell me about the booth, Pip? I prompted. Oh, yeah, he said, around a mouthful of sandwich. I sold another fifty of the stones this morning before I packed them away. Biddy was doing well with the consignments. We should have a settlement for the co-op by tomorrow. We dragged the graph pallet back and started stowing stuff, but you have to see how much twenty kilos of yarn really is. I slid a plate with a big wedge of pie on it over to Sarah while he was talking. Eat up, Sarah, I told her. Pip will go on like this for some time. She smiled shyly and started eating while Pip picked up the story. I talked to the dye people, and they were nice. I do see what you mean about the packets of dye, though. I bought about a dozen of each, black, red, and purple. They were cheap and masked almost nothing. Maybe they'll sell and maybe we'll wind up dyeing some of this yarn, he laughed. I went and got coffee for Sarah, Pip, and me and slid the mugs onto the counter. Did you get any more of the statues, I asked. He shook his head. No, I never found the guy, but I did find Brachot. That was something to see. Did you buy anything, I asked curiously. Pip shook his head. I walked around the racks for a while, but nothing grabbed my fancy. It looked like good work, though. He finished his sandwich and made short work of the pie, washed it all down with the coffee So, Sarah, he said, nodding at me, how's he been treating you? She lowered her eyes and said, it's been a very good afternoon. I showed her the gym, too, I told him. She won't have to discover it on her own in four or five weeks. You're never going to let me forget that, are you, he asked. Never, I told him. We both laughed. Sarah looked uncertain, but at least she wasn't flinching. It took only a tick to clean up the remains, and we headed back to deck birthing. Sarah, you lead. Make sure you can find your way, I told her, nodding encouragingly. It wasn't a complicated path, but I wasn't sure how much she'd been tracking on when I brought her aboard. Apparently it had been enough, because she arrowed directly to berthing and into the quad. Of course, she hadn't counted on Bev standing there in her ship tea and boxers. "Hi," Bev said, as Sarah drew up short. Fancy meeting you here, she said with a smile. Oh, excuse me, Sarah said, looking down, trying to back out of the quad. But by then, Pip and I were right behind her, and she backed into both of us. There was a little traffic jam there, and Sarah started looking around rather frantically. Wait, Bev said softly. It's okay. I'm sorry I startled you. Sarah was still trying to look anywhere but at Bev. I couldn't figure out what was wrong, but I backed up to try to give her some room and tripped Pip, so we all three went crashing to the deck. Bev's reflexes were the fastest, and she shucked Sarah out of the pile and lifted her effortlessly up onto her bunk in a blink. Are you okay? She asked Sarah. Meanwhile, Pip and I were getting untangled. I got up first and stuck a hand down to help Pip up. We're fine. Nothing damaged here, I said. She looked at me over her shoulder. Oh, you two buffoons. Is it a guy thing, or are you two just particularly clumsy? She asked with a grin. Well, we had to get special training, Pip told her. Even Sarah laughed a little at that. So what kind of drill are you all up to now? Bev asked, looking for me to Pip and then over to Sarah. We were on the mess deck, I told her, and I suggested that Sarah lead the way back here to see if she remembered how to get here. Bev nodded and looked back at Sarah. "'You obviously did,' she said with a smile. "'Are you okay?' she asked again, softly, trying to get Sarah to look at her. Sarah nodded. "'I'm sorry, I didn't mean to barge in on you like that.' "'Like what?' Bev asked. Sarah still wouldn't look at her, but nodded her head a little, you know. "'Like that.' Bev looked at me and Pip. I shrugged helplessly. "'I'm sorry, Sarah, but I don't know.' "'Like what?' she asked ever so gently." Sarah looked at her pointedly up and down then. Like that, she whispered, in your underwear. Oh, Bev said. She looked down at herself. I see. She looked over her shoulder at Pip and me and said, Gentlemen, would you excuse us for a few ticks? I think Sarah and I need to have a little girl talk. I looked at Sarah huddled up on my old bunk. You okay with Beverly, Sarah? I asked her softly. Bev looked at me funny when I asked, but Sarah said, Yes, thank you and smiled tentatively at me. Bev's eyebrows shot up, but I just shrugged and shook my head. Come on, Pip, I feel like a sauna. I told him. Me too, he answered, a bit too loudly, and we left them in the quad and headed for the gym. Neither of us spoke until we got to the gym, where Pip asked, what in the name of little fuzzy nuggets is going on here? I plunked myself down in the seat of one of the weight machines. I don't even know where to begin, I told him. "'We'll start with how long has she been here "'and just sort of fill into the point "'where we played charades with the Darberry Pie,' he said seriously. "'I just shook my head. "'All right. "'Mr. Maxwell pinged me to do the pickup "'just as we'd started serving lunch. "'I was expecting somebody our age, "'and then she stepped out of the lock. "'I thought she was my mom's age when I first saw her, "'but I don't think she's really that old. "'Yeah,' Pip said. "'I had the same impression. "'She's had a rough time of it. "'We got back just in time to help Cookie "'clean up the galley after lunch.' She pitched right in, and we worked for a stand and got things pretty well cleaned up. Portside lunch isn't that tough, Pip noted. Exactly, I agreed. Anyway, as I'm putting away the meat and cheese tray, I had the feeling she was eyeing it and was trying not to show it. You didn't give her lunch? Pip asked. Well, I didn't think of it. I defended myself. I didn't get lunch either, but we just dropped into cleanup mode, and one thing led to another. Anyway, once I realized she hadn't had lunch, we settled down to eat, and Pip, I think that was the first time she's eaten in the week. What? "'he asked incredulously. "'I don't know when the last time she ate before that was, "'but I'm darn sure she didn't miss just lunch. "'She's no stranger to being hungry. "'Okay, but she got dinner, right?' "'Oh, yeah. "'I made sure she got some lamb,' I told him. "'He made lamb?' Pip exclaimed. "'Damn, and I missed it. "'And as much else as I could put on her plate "'without seeming like I was forcing it on her,' I finished. "'Hence the little act with the pie?' he asked. "'Yeah,' I said. "'She's like some kind of wild animal, almost. "'A stray cat or something in him.' having to try to coax her to eat even though she's starving. I've never seen anything like it. What else aren't you telling me? Pip asked. Well, she stopped flinching, I told him. I think she's getting over that. Flinching? Pip asked. When I first picked her up at the shuttle, I offered my hand to shake, you know? Pip nodded. She flinched, ever so slightly, like I might hit her. It happened really fast, and I wasn't sure, but the same thing happened when I introduced her to Bev. Not good, Pip said. We work together all afternoon and evening. This is the first time she's been out of my sight. She hasn't even gone to the head. Okay, how do we help her? Pip asked. I'm not sure, I told him. But she's hurt, she's scared, and she's here. I think we need to give her some room to come to trust us. Lois will take care of her. Ish, Pip said. You know you started talking about the imaginary crewman as if she were real, right? What? I asked. Oh, yeah. Well, of course she's not real, but you can't tell me that the Lois doesn't have some of the best people in the galaxy as crew, right up to and including the captain. Yeah, you're right about that, he said, but that doesn't mean we have ghosts. What ghosts, Pip? Spirit. We take care of our own. Well, of course, we're shipmates. Exactly. And now she's one of us, and we need to take care of her. Okay, Pip agreed. You've convinced me. What do we do now? I shrugged. Trust Lois. She'll sort it out. We just need to be ready to help when the time comes. You do know that sounds like your brain has lost a data coupling somewhere, right? I I know what it sounds like. I smiled at him, but I liked the feeling, and I shrugged. We stood there looking at each other for a few more ticks. How long has it been, Pip asked. Long enough for us to get back and get a status report, I told him. We're going to have to rack out soon. You've got the duty tomorrow, and I've got to start my new job. We went back to the birthing area and found it quiet. Sarah was rolled up in the blankets and appeared to be sound asleep. Bev was guarding her. She backed us out of the quad and over to the birthing area's table. Out in the light, I could see her eyes were all red and puffy. Beverly, I asked, are you all right? Yes, she said, I'm fine. We had a chat about the ship tea and boxers, and I think she understands now. And seeing other people wandering around down here has helped a bit. Sarah has some issues that will take some time to get sorted out. She shared some of them with me a bit, but it's her story to share if she wants. I'll warn you, though, the story is horrific. Pip sighed. What can we do? Bev just shook her head. Give her room. You're both good-hearted guys for all that you're both blockheads, she said with a grin. Just treat her like a shipmate and don't notice if she's a little more off-balance than normal for a greenie. We're headed out tomorrow, and the sooner the better. Pip looked at me and then back at Bev. So, now what? She's exhausted. I don't think she slept in a week. We had a little talk and I convinced her that I'd keep a lookout for her while she slept. She rolled into the blanket and went out like a light. Tomorrow's another day, and I suggest that you guys call it, too. I'll sit up for a bit in case she wakes up. Is it going to be okay for me to sleep in the same quad? Pip asked. Bev thought about it for a tick, and I thought she was going to say no, but she sighed and said, Well, Bunky, that's the way we sleep here, isn't it? I think it might be good for her to see how things work. Just keep it down tonight so she can sleep, okay? No problem with that, Pip said. I'm going to get ready for bed. See you tomorrow-ish. He went into the sand. Bev turned to me and lowered her voice more. You did good today, Ish. She trusts you, and I don't think she trusts easily right now. I didn't do anything special, I said. Fed her, showed her around the ship. (laughs) Bev gave a tired little grin. You have no idea how far a simple, friendly gesture can go, do you? Well, she's one of us now. We have to take care of her, don't we? Bev smiled at me again. You're a good man, Ishmael, Horatio Huang, she said. In her world, there haven't been many of those. I figured, I said. Is she badly bruised? Bev looked at me sharply. What do you mean? I was with her all afternoon in the galley, Bev. I'm stupid, but I'm not blind. She's got bruises all up the left side of her face, where she keeps her hair pulled forward to hide it. She may have a cracked rib on the right, and she's favoring her left arm. If I had to guess, I'd say she'd not had a decent meal in about three days, and she's so dehydrated that I poured three liters of water into her over the course of the afternoon. She has not so much as hinted that she needed to use the head. When I first met her, she flinched from a simple handshake, and you picked her up off the deck and lifted her onto her bunk like she weighed nothing at all. I know you're strong, Bev, but she can't weigh more than fifty kilos. Bev just stared at me. Is that all? she asked. I shook my head. She's a hard worker and a good person. She has calluses on her palms and fingers from some kind of rough work, and she has a grip that would bend ship-steel pipes, but she's not used to being around people. She's spent a lot of time outdoors and has got a lot of UV damage in her hair and her skin. She looks old enough to be my mother, but I doubt that she's more than ten stand years older than me. Anything else? she asked. Isn't that enough? I asked back. Bev stared at me for a long tick. Yep, yeah, that's plenty. How much have you told Pip? It's her story to share, I said with a smile. He'll find out for himself tomorrow. She looked at me hard then, in a way I think I might have liked if it hadn't scared me so much. And then she sighed and said again, You're a good man. I'm a tired man, Bev, I told her. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Episode 4 of Half Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is from the banks of Newfoundland an Irish jig recorded in September 1928 by Peter James Conlon and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandis, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.durandis.com golden.